and welcome to episode number 43 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Christian Cody of DraftAnalyst.com, and I'm joined once again from the Combine in Indianapolis by Tony Pauline after the first day of on-field workouts here at Lucas Oil Stadium. Tony, what's the main difference for you between a non-workout day like Thursday compared to a day like Friday where the workouts start? Yeah, it's a lot busier, Chris, because I got to get the workouts in. I got to watch it and then I got to do all the media stuff. But, you know, this is the meat and potatoes. And it's kind of funny because now that Kyler Murray has spoken, the media center is pretty much clearing out. There are a lot of people that have taken all their stuff and they're not going to be back tomorrow. So, you know, we knew Kyler Murray was going to be the big story. And if, if you're here in the media center, you could see why Kyler Murray is the big story. I mean, you still got some really good defensive players who are going to be around tomorrow and Sunday. And a lot of the media has uh, has basically bailed. But as far as I'm concerned, the meat and potatoes started at 9 o'clock this morning. And the first group of quarterbacks uh, ran their 40. I'm sorry, the first group of offensive linemen, I apologize, quarterbacks tomorrow, ran their 40s and started the workout. And we've been talking about free agency a lot lately on the show. But today, we're really going to focus on the draft. We'll start with a quarterback, but maybe not the one that everybody thinks. That's the one you already mentioned in Kyler Murray. May not even be the one that others might think. We're going to talk about Missouri's Drew Locke. Now, he's a polarizing prospect. Obviously, some love his arm talent and athleticism. Others point to the general inconsistency that plagued his career with the Tigers. We've talked at length about the interest that the Denver Broncos reportedly have in him with the 10th overall pick. What's the word on Locke the day before he's set to throw for NFL teams? You know, well, the word is he's going to go much higher than expected. I, I spoke with someone last night, and, and they say they feel he could be a top 10 pick. I don't agree with it. We'll have to wait and see what happens. But scouts are just and teams are just enamored with his arm. They're comparing his arm to Patrick Mahomes. And as we saw with Patrick Mahomes, you know, teams love his arm strength so much, especially offensive coaches, offensive coordinators, because they can add extra plays into the playbook that they ordinarily cannot do with a quarterback that doesn't have that type of arm strength. So it's it's a situation that I refer to often as, you know, coaches see a guy, a quarterback that's six foot three. 225 pounds and can throw the ball a country mile and they disregard the tape and they say, listen, we're going to coach the best out of that guy. And that's what seems to be the case with Drew Locke. Now, it's interesting you mentioned comparisons between Locke and Patrick Mahomes, because I also see a similarity in the sense that Drew Locke is a guy who does throw from multiple different arm angles. He'll drop down to the side. He'll go three quarters. Patrick Mahomes does the same thing, almost creating his own throwing windows. Do you think that might be why teams are also looking a little bit at Drew Locke in the mold of Mahomes? No, it's based off of the arm strength. It's based off the ability to get the ball 60, 70 yards downfield with speed. That's what bas- That's what it comes down to. And the fact is this is, you know, they both have strong arms. But Patrick Mahomes never showed the inconsistency or the streakiness in his passing that Drew Locke has shown. Now, there's been a lot of chatter about Alabama running back Josh Jacobs. He's the top runner on many boards, player with the size, athleticism, and receiving ability to really be a true three-down back at the next level. What have you been hearing about Jacobs? A lot of teams here love him. They grade him as one of the top 10 prospects in the draft. Uh, They love his athleticism. They love his explosion, his versatility, as well as his upside. Now, that said, even though they draft him as one of the top 10 picks uh, in the whole process or one of the top 10 players of the whole process, they don't think he's going to go any earlier than the 20th pick this April. Now, Tony, you've talked about how this draft may be a historic one along the defensive line. Let's concentrate on the edge rushers for a moment here. 
how many could go in the first round? Right now I'm hearing that as many as five edge rushers or defensive – well, edge rushers. Let's stick with that, man, and we'll, I'll explain why. Can go in the top 15 picks. That's a third of the top 15 picks will be edge rushers. Now who are those five, and in what order are you hearing that they're likely to go? This is going to surprise many people. Obviously the number one edge rusher or the number one edge rusher talked about is Josh Allen of Kentucky. The number two edge rusher is Ja'Kai Polite of Florida. Number three edge rusher is Nick Boza of Ohio State, followed by Montez Sweat of Mississippi State, and finally Brian Burns of Florida State. So you're telling me that Nick Bosa, a player that many consider to be the top overall prospect in this year's draft, is not just the second edge rusher taken in this scenario, but the third behind Ja'Kai Polite. Can you explain this one, Tony? It's not that he's the third one selected. It's that he's graded as the third edge rusher. When you look at his overall game, he's a much better uh, run defender compared to Ja'Kai Polite or Josh Allen, and he's got more of the complete game, which is why he, he will be selected before those guys. But when you break down just the intangible or, or the skill of edge rushing, Bosa comes in third. Okay, so that list is not the order that they're likely to be drafted in, but just how teams view them strictly as edge prospects, not taking into account the rest of their games. That's absolutely correct. All right, let's move on to the tight ends here. We've been saying for months now that they were going to be overdrafted just because of the overall need at the position in the NFL. What are you hearing as to the number of tight ends who will end up being drafted? A lot. As of last night, I've heard that as many as 15 tight ends could go in the first 125 selections. That means that 15 tight ends could be off the board before the fourth round ends. That is a huge number. Presently on our draft board at draftanalyst.com, I have nine tight ends that are graded as fourth round values or better. So even with the influx of underclassmen at the position that we've discussed, the demand is still going to top the supply here? Absolutely, because of the fact that there just aren't uh, there just aren't that many out there, and more and more teams are are using tight ends in a variety of ways. So that's the way it seems. And again, you know, let's go back to our, our report last night that there are 19 teams right now looking to acquire Nick Boyle, the tight end from the Baltimore Ravens, in free agency. So it's a very hot position right now. Now you can't really just throw numbers like that without me kind of shooting back here and saying. Give me a couple players you think can move into the top 25. If there's going to be 15 guys there and we have nine on our board, that's a six-player difference right there. Give me a couple guys who you think can move into that area of the draft that a lot of people may not expect. One guy is Josh Oliver of San Jose State. Since the Senior Bowl, there's been talk about him being a second-day pick. He did relatively well today in the bench press. That's not a big deal. Let's watch him run tomorrow. He's estimated to be a four-eight, low 4-8 guy. If Josh Oliver can run in the 4-7s or under 4-7-5, I'm pretty confident he's going to be a top-90 selection. Then the other one would be Drew Sample, who we basically gushed over uh, during the Senior Bowl. He's not a fast guy. He's not a guy that's going to stretch the seam, but he catches the ball well, and he's an outstanding blocker. And again, I hate to be redundant, but go back to Nick Boyle. Teams like the versatility of a guy who can not only be a solid intermediate pass-catching threat, but can also be a dominant blocker, and that's what Drew Sample is. Now, earlier I promised that we would focus strictly on the draft during this episode. Well, I lied just a little bit. There has been some talk in Indy of a semi-veteran type of quarterback who may be on the trading block heading into free agency. Can you fill us in on more about this rumor, Tony? Yeah, and that's going to be Jacoby Brissett, the 
backup quarterback to Andrew Luck right here in the city of Indianapolis. And in fact, uh, Jacoby Brissett, I believe, was here the other day signing autographs. But just a little history on uh, Jacoby Brissett. He was drafted by the New England Patriots. We we're going to groom him as a backup. But what happened is when Andrew Luck went down with the Indianapolis Colts, they shipped him off to Indianapolis in return for former first round receiver Philip Dorsett. And Jacoby Brissett did a solid job the year he filled in for uh, Andrew Luck. Wasn't setting the world on fire, but I, I think when you consider where he was drafted and how he was thrown into the mix, I thought he did a solid job. Obviously, the Colts don't need him anymore with Andrew Luck, so they're going to shop him. And the word is, is he's going to be traded and, and the Colts will bring back some draft picks. Yeah, Brissett did have a solid season when he filled in for Luck there. Got sacked a lot, but again, that's a lot on the Indianapolis offensive line, which we've known to be a bit porous up until this year when obviously they took a massive step forward, drafted Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith, had some other reinforcements come in. Ryan Kelly was healthy, so they really improved that area of the team. Are you hearing anything about what the Colts might get in return, whether it's draft compensation or it's a specific position they might be looking for? It's probably going to be draft compensation. It's probably going to be something where it's a conditional pick, where uh, they may get a late-round pick this year, and depending on how much Brissett plays in the future, you know that could be a, a higher pick uh, down the road. Now, finally, let's get into the workouts from today on the field. First off, Tony, who are your winners from the offensive line? I was very impressed with Ryan Bates of Penn State. He came in taller than expected at six four and a half. He was much more athletic. Uh, than a lot of people expected. Ran under 5-1 in the uh, 40 with a 1.7-10 split time. Looked very good in drills, moved well. I spoke with some people who told me that they didn't think that Bates should enter the draft and they didn't think he was going to get drafted. That conversation or that narrative ended today. I'm going to go down. I'm, what I'm going to do is to make it easy. I'm just going to go down in alphabetical order rather than rank them. So Bates had a good day. Garrett Bradbury had a tremendous day. Came in under six foot three, 306 pounds. Ran them the low four nines in the 40 with a 10 time split of 1.74. Completed 34 reps on the bench yesterday, a 31 inch vertical jump at 306 pounds. Then looked terrific uh, during position drills. As we exited the senior bowl and we talked the, the week after on our podcast, I had mentioned that Scout said there was a 90% chance that Garrett Bradbury was going to be a first round pick. I think that's moving much, much closer to 100%. Nate Davis didn't test that well, 5-2 uh, in the 5-2s in the 40, but he looked real good in drills. I mean, he moves very well. He's relatively fluid. I think he helped himself. Andre Dillard was an offensive lineman who was at the top of the list along with Garrett Bradbury, 6'5", 315 pounds, ran under five seconds in the 40. His 10-yard uh, split was under 1.7 seconds, which is almost unheard of, a 29-inch vertical jump at 315 pounds, and then he looked great in drills. The purest left tackle in this year's draft, I think he's definitely solidified himself as a first-round pick. Cody Ford also looked good. Testing numbers weren't that great. High five twos in the 40, 1-8-10 split, only 19 reps on the bench. But when he was in position drills, he looked like a legitimate first-round choice. He showed good footwork. He was fluid. He was terrific in pass protection drills. There was some question as to whether Cody Ford was going to be a first-round selection Entering the combine, I had those questions. He made the case for uh, for being a first-round pick. Michael Jordan of Ohio State, almost six foot six inches tall, 312 pounds, looked very good in drills. Chris Lindstrom of Boston College was outstanding. 308 pounds, ran them the low four nines. His 10-yard split was 1.7 seconds. 30.5-inch vertical jump at 308 pounds. 
really moved well. The question about Chris Lindstrom, we all knew he was a good football player. We questioned his athleticism. The fact that he was able to run in the low four nines and some of the other tests, including a nine nine broad jump, I think answered some of those concerns or, or, or questions about his game. Eric McCoy of Texas A&M, another top offensive lineman today, 29 reps on the bench, ran under 4.9 in the 40 on some stopwatches, 31-inch vertical jump, really looked terrific uh, in drills. Josh Miles, our friend from the Shrine game, had a 36-inch vertical jump. Sua Opeta of Weber State, guy who uh, completed 39 reps on the bench yesterday. Today he ran in the low fives in the 40, including a 1.66 10-yard split. That is outstanding. He was a college tackle. He came in at 6'4 and a quarter inches, 300 pounds. I project him to guard at the next level. Finally, from the offensive line, I was really impressed with Oli Uda. Completed uh, 26 reps on the bench yesterday with 35 and a half inch arms. Today ran in the low five fives. Had a uh, vertical jump almost nine feet. He's looked very good. He's really put the pedal to the metal since the Shrine game, and I think he's improved his draft stock. Now, which players might have hurt their draft stock due to some disappointing workouts. I was not impressed at all with Greg Little. Didn't bench yesterday. He ran uh, in the mid-five threes in the 40, including a 1-8-5 10-yard split, only 25 inches in the vertical jump, 9 feet 5 inches in the broad jump. Really just did not look good moving around the field. Was very slow, sluggish, didn't show great footwork. Uh, you know, Little's a guy who people have had their concerns about since the season. As I've mentioned a couple times on this podcast, a lot, of, a lot of people are concerned that he may not be able to play left tackle at the next level. I think he's affirmed that he's not going to be a left tackle at the next level. He may not even be a first-round choice when all is said and done. Nate Herbick, the underclassman from Stanford, terrible testing numbers. Ran in the mid-4.5s in the 40, including a 186 10-yard uh, split, only 24-inch vertical jump underclassman who's probably not going to get drafted. And while he gets high uh, grades for uh, his effort, uh, Dalton Reisner did not look good in testing. 6'4 and a half, 312 pounds, ran in the five threes in the 40 with a 1-9-3 10-yard split. That's awful. 7-6-9 three cone, which is not a good number. 28.5 inches in the vertical, which is not a good number. 9 feet 2 inches in the broad, not a good number. A lot of people have been mocking Reisner in the first round. I've said all along, no way. I think he's a third-round guard. And you know what? He's a good player. He gives a lot of effort. But you can't take a guy that runs in the five threes, that has a 1.9-second 10-yard split, and verticals under uh, 29 inches in the first 60 picks of the draft. Now, moving along to the backfield here, many were disappointed with the performance of the running backs Friday. We'll try to stay positive, though, Tony. Who impressed you among the backs? Yeah, there was there were no outsta- real outstanding uh, numbers. I mean, some guys put together a solid workout. Obviously, Miles Sanders is someone we got to talk about. The underclassman, 211 pounds, ran under 4.5 in the 40, uh, had a, six, uh, a 6.89 three cone, which is outstanding, 36, uh, 36-inch vertical jump, 10-4 broad jump. I thought those were terrific numbers for him. Uh, Darrell Henderson of Memphis, Ran under 4.5 as well, 33.5-inch vertical jump. You know, plays to the speed that he showed. I thought he had a, a real good day. Justice Hill looked terrific in testing. 4.4 in the 40, 
10-10 in the broad, 40 inches in the vertical jump. He should be fast. I mean, he's more of a third down back, a situational runner. Uh, finally, I thought Mike Weber did a good job. Under 4-5 in the 40 at 211 pounds, 33.5-inch vertical jump, 22 reps on the bench, looked real good in uh, drills, fluid during the cutting drills, caught the ball very well in pass-catching drills. I think Weber's helped himself. I don't know that he's going to jump in the top 75 selections, but as I said all along, outside of the first three rounds of the draft, he's going to be great value. Yeah, and we thought that Mike Weber was going to be great value before we saw these kind of athletic numbers from him. What did you expect from him athletically? Did you think he'd be more towards the average side of things, or did you think he had this kind of performance in him? I knew he was going to do well. I didn't think, but I, what I thought well was going to be in the low four fives. The fact that he was able to get under four or five seconds in the 40, I think is pretty significant. I mean, he shows some speed, but he didn't show that kind of burst. And the fact is that that shows that he's got the ability to beat defenders into the open field. Now, you mentioned, obviously, Miles Sanders. You mentioned Ryan Bates before. Obviously, last year, we had Saquon Barkley blow up the combine. We also had safety Troy Apke out of Penn State, who ran an extremely fast time. Is there something going on with the Nittany Lions here? Because I feel like every year we're seeing these guys really dominate the athletic testing at the Combine. And like I said, I mean, uh, Ryan Bates, the offensive lineman, was a lot more athletic than people gave him credit for. I mean, it, it's good recruiting. It, it's good weight training. Good, you know, just training for the football season. So I, I think you bring up a great point. Now, What about the losers at the running back position? Obviously, we had some guys that as you said, didn't really show out, didn't really take a step forward, but who took a step back? Well, you got to start with Elijah Holyfield. I mean, barely broke 4.8 in the uh, 40, didn't even uh, touch 30 inches in the vertical jump, had a vertical jump of 29.5, was out jumped by a number of offensive linemen who were over 300 pounds, 9.10 in the broad. I mean, what did I say? Chris Lindstrom at 308 pounds did 9.9. I mean, that was just a terrible workout. You know, I had him as a six-round pick. I was never too impressed with him on film. I think he's going to go from my board, a six-round pick, to, to a free agent. It was not a good performance by him at all. The other back who I thought really was mediocre, someone who people kept talking about, was Devin Singletary of Florida Atlantic. Five, seven and a half, 203 pounds, barely broke 4.7 in the 40, ran in the high four sixes, a three-cone time of 7.32 seconds, you know, he's not fast in a straight line. He's not fast laterally. Uh, he's five seven and a half, two hundred and three pounds. What are you going to do with a guy like that? Yeah, small and slow is not the combination that you want at the running back position. And certainly we've discussed when we were talking about David Montgomery a couple shows ago, that it's not a position where the athletic testing matters too much in terms of if you're not a great athlete, you can't be a great running back at the NFL level. But there are certain thresholds and certain baselines that you need to hit to prove that you are just an NFL level athlete, even if it's a below average one. And obviously Singletary being small and being as slow and as unagile as he appeared to be in these combine drills is not good for him. And then Elijah Holyfield hovering around the four eight area. It's very difficult to not look at that and just kind of disqualify him from being drafted, even as a bigger back. Uh, he also struggled as a receiver. Uh, he didn't really look too good there, look too natural. So it was really a bad day for both of those guys. And Holyfield, when you watch him on film, is pretty much just a downhill running back. I mean, but at four seven eight, he's running slightly faster than some of the offensive linemen, which is not good. Moving from one skill position to another, Tony, tomorrow the receivers are going to run. 
what do you expect from these guys? Who do you expect to run good times? Who might you expect to run some poor times? And what are you expecting to see overall at the position? Let's start with Hakeem Butler. I don't think he's going to be a blazer. But what I'm told is he's going to run much faster than expected. And the combine is as much about expectations as it is anything else. I think you're going to see Hakeem Butler run a 40 time in the low four fives. He's going to have a big vertical jump. And then he's going to do well in position drills. Alex Wesley of Northern Colorado, uh, somebody that we spoke about at the Senior Bowl, he's known as a 4-5 guy. I'm told that he's going to be running in the 4-3s. I think the two fastest receivers tomorrow are going to be Terry McLaurin of Ohio State and Andy Isabella of UMass. McLaurin has been timing in the low 4-3s to the high 4-2s, while Isabella is also expected to time in the, in the high 4-2s. So I think it's going to be a track meet between those two guys, and they're going to blister across the turf of Lucas Oil Stadium. Now, when we're talking about Ohio State receivers running fast at the Combine, I think a lot of people would have expected you to say the name Paris Campbell there rather than McLaurin. What do you expect out of Campbell, and do you expect him to come close to beating his teammate? Well, I think Paris Campbell will run fast. He's a little bit of a bigger guy. I think he's probably going to run in the four threes. But what I've been told is McLaurin has run some four twos laser time during Combine training. Now, just because he's running in Combine training doesn't mean he does it through the actual workouts because... McLaurin will probably be in the second group of uh, receivers, while Isabella may be in the first group. Uh, Regardless, this is the end of a long four days for these guys. They've been mentally tested. They've undergone some rigorous physical exams. They have interviews up until uh, 12 o'clock at night. So sometimes uh, it's not peak performance when they're running their 40s. If McLaurin does end up running in the high four twos, this is going to be one heck of a rise through the pre-draft process for him. Obviously, he really excelled at the senior bowl, showed off easy separation ability and route running skills. But if he's going to burn that kind of time at the 40, it's easy to see why he's able to get the separation he does combining with the sharp routes that he runs in addition to that kind of speed. Yeah, and then the scouts, as well as NFL decision makers, are are really going to have to say, you know, why didn't this guy do this during his Ohio State career? Why was he so good in the senior ball? Why was he, uh, you know, so blistering at combine workouts? Yet, really, when you you don't see that on film during the regular season, they're going to have to come to some sort of final decision on it. And that's all for the 43rd episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show... Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. You can find us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcasts. We'll be back Saturday with another show to recap what we're seeing and hearing from Lucas Oil Stadium. So keep an eye out for that. And don't forget to visit DraftAnalyst.com for all the latest news from the Combine. On behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi, and it won't be too long until you're hearing from us again.